The Agora podcast is covered by a BIPCOT no-gov license. Use and reuse is free and encouraged by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at BIPCOT.org. operation of the machine becomes so odious makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part you can't even passively take part and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels upon the levers by all the apparatus and you've got to make it stop you were born free you got fucked out of half of it and you wave a flag celebrate <laughs> Central authority has just embedded right in it uh, its own problem, and that is that it means a few people make decisions for many people. folks welcome back to the agora podcast it's your home for agorism radical decentralization localism and anti-authoritarian concepts i'm penguin here with my uh, usual co-host uh, sec magora and we're coming to you live ish we're recording here anyways with our our guest um and our guest is um a podcaster I'd call him a futurist, polymath, uh, somebody who's um, posts a ton on Twitter on some of the most interesting topics with an uh, anarchist bent, um, but uh, kind of veers in every which direction. A podcast that I've listened to, tried to keep up with, and have absolutely um, thoroughly enjoyed out of out of the like realm of pretty predictable kind of. Um, kind of straightforward ideological stuff this is he has some really really interesting ideas so i'm introducing to you frank miroslav aka mutual aid um you might know him as mutual aid on twitter um and uh or frank miroslav some of his uh you you go by that on your um where where, where do you go by that name actually just just generally your general uh, nom de plume yeah yeah, that's um that's on like the various uh out publications, blogs, outlets I contribute to. Um Oh, it's like C4SS, yeah. which uh, we're going to go through the whole C4SS. Yes. At some point. Um yes, but I, can't, yeah. I have to mention that of course. Yeah. Oh, oh Yeah, yeah. Also I I um just like it's very nice what you said about like all my different things, but I I just want to add uh put amateur in front of all of them. Um Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I don't know. As, as, as a, I always feel like kind of a lay lay person listening to this stuff. But um, yeah, I've, I've learned a tr- tremendous amount. And I think you've you know, I've done a, a pretty good job kind of influencing oh, yeah. 
influencing some of my our ideas and my ideas. Um, I know you've done a lot of discourse with SEC, and um, just to, uh, I do like the aesthetic vibes of your podcast, and I, that's that can't be underrated, uh, underrated because I've definitely got thank you. Um, you know, I've definitely got a lot of influences from podcasts that I've admired before. I'm a big fan of the. Um, all right. Well, I didn't. I didn't realize that my podcast had an aesthetic, but um, that that's given me something to be self conscious about. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, cool intro music and stuff. Yeah, but anyways, um, so uh, I guess we could just jump into the article that I just read. Um, that, mm. that before we go into some others, and you certainly uh, have have touched on numerous topics, but uh, you are, are recently working on an article on. Um, on uh, public choice and why anarchists should be interested in like public choice economics. And I got to say, as like, again, I will stress a, a, a kind of a lay um, mm -hmm. economic lay person in the, in the field of economics, but someone for someone who, for whom like economics is like supremely important, ironically yeah. at the same time, kind of my like political economic views. Um, I did find that very, so I found that very um, like, it was very pressing that you were, kind of telling anarchists and people kind of especially like social anarchists and people want to yeah, yeah. And i think yeah i think you've really stressed this before that t t the need to incorporate these ideas and <laughs> like something you said before that i think was really interesting and on, on a more broad level um that i think the big uh with a couple of things so i think one you said like, i think the big mistake that the left has made generally over you know decades or centuries in mm. a couple century couple centuries is the kind of rejection of the field of economics and i think you do go into in the article kind of mm. you know understanding why that is the case but also seeding it to the right um which i think is mm. even more important seeding the field of economics to the right and certain social yeah concepts, yeah like, like a whole groupings of social concepts but also um yeah. Um, where, where, where was, it was a it was a it was a related thing, but I, I can't quite uh, just just exit in my mind. But you know, basically, you made that point, and um, I think it was that it was a it was seating it to the right and just rejecting uh, certain fields for the most part altogether. So um, I, I think your article made in, um, some pretty good point so what why, why do you think that like uh, particularly public choice economics should be something that's engaged with um by anarchists yeah so um i i'm gonna be honest like uh so uh, first of all um this article is currently a draft and i don't know whether this is going live uh but it might not be out yet um so you know just a heads up if that's the case for listeners but um, what I'm really trying to do, uh, with the two drafts I sent you is like, I'm really, really trying to push back, um, on basically the Marxist influence, uh, both on the left and among anarchists in terms, like, I, so I think like Marxist class theory is, um, it, it isn't like, well, it, it is, but it also isn't like methodologically individualist. Um, and by that, I mean, like he doesn't like, he does consider like individual motivations and how they lead to like, you know, macro scale, uh, uh, like predictable outcomes, but he also, so he does consider that, but he also doesn't. And I think, um, like that, like some of that is just like, the fact that, you know, Karl Marx was a dude, like, you know, writing in the 19th century 
and like he can't get everything right um but like you know the problem is is like you know you you take like this you know model however like you know uh like advanced and radical it is for its time and you know you fucking turn it into uh, basically a religion um and like I'm, and like obviously like you know the most egregious example of this is like the soviet union but i think i think also just like the assumptions of like okay like this is the way like like we we have like you know these collective actors in society that like you know uh the bourgeoisie and you know the proletariat and like you know they they act um they like they are these you know uh things that like act with like purposes and like you can kind of just ignore uh individual motivations um i i i like i think i think empirically like that's just wrong um and uh i think theoretically that like causes a whole bunch of problems um because hmm how to how, how to best put this so yeah i i think i think there's just this unfortunate tendency <laughs> hmm I, yeah so it's like i i think the problem is is like you you like notice like a structure of oppression or a dynamic of oppression right and then you reify that into something that is like where the concept becomes like real and you forget that like there are you know interpersonal dynamics that like scale up to create this structure and you know when, when this structure becomes real it it becomes hard to see how to change it um and like obviously uh, yeah so it becomes hard to see how it change how to change it and also it becomes like difficult to like be like oh you know if the conditions that gave rise to this change uh like you know the people that make it up uh they may change their behavior uh and that like you know we'll disorientate us if you know we are we are part of a social movement and we are fighting for like the liberation of a group and then we like get some victories uh like there's the fact that you know uh, uh like gay people aren't like you know formally oppressed oppressed by the law but like you know and i i don't know if this is true like you know like gay people living in poverty uh like you know they they face certain oppressions that like you know more middle class and like upper gay people don't and that like that that, that that's obviously going to change the incentives for like people being involved in activism right and um like i think that's considered to some degree but there's like this tension because um like i i, I my my read is is that like a lot of a lot of the left kind of just like has inherited this sort of methodological collectivism where like and by that i mean like the collective is they they, they like take the collective as like the relevant actor uh and they don't consider how like the individuals that make up the collective um how like their you know incentives and a action gives rise to that collective actor um and i think i think like that obviously i don't think that started with marx but i think what happened is that like marx was so influential that like the assumptions are like still there um and so like 
yeah, I like, I really, I really just want to push back against that. Uh, I mean, I mean, obviously like for anarchists, because like, you know, you should, you should be a methodological individualist if you're an anarchist. Um, Cause you know, if you're not prioritizing individual agency in your analytical models, like what are you even doing? But I, I, I think, I think just like the left in general could benefit from this because um, my, my read of things is like, and this isn't, no, sorry. Um, like there's just like a lot of, like okay, one one such example is like um, the late Mark Fisher's capitalist realism is like you know a pretty decent analysis of like problems within capitalism, uh, and he's like yeah like we're just we're just kind of stuck and we don't know where to go and like I don't know maybe imagination will fix it, um, and like I kind of take that as emblematic of like a lot of thinking on the left. It's like yeah like you know we can analyze all these problems but like we don't know what the fuck to do about it, um, and like. I, I obviously don't think that, like, you know, if, like, I write this article, like, suddenly, you know, Jacobin is going to, like, you know, do a... F hey, Zach here. I wanted to introduce you guys to Appalachian Apothecary. That is, uh, that's my lady. Um, she makes a uh, boatload of tinctures, salves, um, medicines, um, some uh, libations, um, all, all very good, all from stuff we grew here at the homestead. Um, and she knows what she's doing. She's a wizard. Um, you you may have heard her on the chemistry episode. But uh, if you're interested in any of that, um, go ahead and touch base with me um, at Sekmagora on Telegram. S-E-K-M-C-G-O-R-A. All one word, all caps. Or you can find us in the uh, Agora podcast discord telegram or find us on twitter at agora underscore pod thanks bye do like a full 180 and like stop being like holy fucking shit like let's let's like read kevin carson guys fuck all this you know bernie sanders shit but um you know i think i think getting the ideas out there and like shaping discourses is certainly possible especially in the age of the internet um yeah so like that that's a lot um and i i obviously don't think like you know this one article alone is going to do it but i think i think just like clearing the air and being like okay guys like you know there's just like a lot of crud that's accumulated uh and like we need um we like we need clarity in this respect i i think that's like a really good first step so yeah uh, i hopefully that answered your question so <clears throat> What I'm hearing is um, essentially it's too broad of a generalization when applied to, um, you know, people and, and individual actors and activists. And, and also um, the other thing I'm hearing is that <clears throat> it sort of leads to um, this line of analysis leads to like sort of organizationalism. So because we have made this class real as in almost turning it into a, a character or an, uh, an actor of its own that now we can you know transmute this into an organizational structure right and then this is so it, it just follows like if you follow marxist logic so because there is this class then that class will necessarily you know in a very determinist fashion turn into the vanguard or or whatever the case may be and then we will 
therefore, ex, you know, a bunch of other steps, and therefore, <laughs> eventually, we'll see the revolution. Now, this hasn't happened for a lot of reasons, and I think you're touching on something very important, is that me, personally, I think, you know, class is a decent and va valuable enough lens to analyze things through, but it's not the only one. And it also, a lot is sort of lost in, um, what's the word, sort of lost in translation, I guess, um, for lack of a better term, to where you're not getting all of that information when you think of things solely in terms of proletariat and bourgeoisie. You have a lot of different people making different decisions for lots of different reasons. Um, mm. So uh, I, I more or less agree with you, what you're saying. I've never been much, much of a Marxist myself, but um, I, I agree that that is a common problem. And you're, and you're not the only one that's made that um, made, well, at least made similar points. Um, this was um, sort of possible. Uh, popular and sort of post-left circles in the in the 90s as well is that um, more the organizationalism is in the, the the collective the collectivism of not only analysis but of methodology as well and um, so what okay I guess my next question is well what what is a better lens to view the current power dynamics of our 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 current system yeah, so first of all, I just want to push back against one thing, which is, um, you know, the assumption that, like, this, like, framing of things has to lead to, like, organizationalism. Um, like, you know, there, there are, like, you know, libertarian Marxists who, like, you know, are more about, like, uh, like autonomy and, like, decentralization and all that stuff. Sure, um, yeah. Like, I think, I think my, and yeah, I, yeah, so I think, I think, what's like i think what's worth emphasizing is like uh like so like in actual like the actual history of like actually existing like workers uh like movements is like being far far messier than the marxist picture um and i think it i think i think that messiness is like far more supportive of like vision that i want to promote which i'll get to in a well the the like the analytical frame that i want to promote which i'll get to in a second and i think i think i think one way to put it is like your uh your model of the world like shapes how you act in it um so i think like what happens right is like people get involved in like i guess activism uh for lack of a better word uh and they might like act in a way where like it looks like far more like you know they believe uh they, they they don't like you know actually think that you know there are only two classes uh and that they all have you know these specific interests and like you know you can kind of just ignore other things because like if you do that like you won't fucking get anywhere but like in terms of the model that you know they rely upon to like make like broader decisions it like does have these features and i think um i think i think that tension is uh like i think it like saps a lot of energy uh because like well for one thing you know you've got like a discrepancy between like your vision of how things are and how like you're actually doing things um and two like it 
um, like when it comes time to like, you know, more like long-term strategic planning, uh, you're like, you're like, you're using like a shitty, a shitty model. And so like, you know, you're going to like want to do something and then you're going to try and do it. And then you're going to realize, Oh, my model is too simple. I have to like course correct. So then you have to fucking waste all this time, like course correcting. And that sucks. Um, so yeah, um, that, that's not good. Uh, okay. So what, what's, what's a better way to see things? Um, well, one, I think, I think just like acknowledging like, basic fundamental like epistemic limits and uncertainty is really fucking important uh so you know like just having some humility um and like i think there there are there are like really good uh like like incredibly analytic reasons to to have such um in uh I, I'm fond of this paper uh, by Roger Koppel um, called it's like the creative creative economy or something. Hang on. Let me just. Hey, sec here. I wanted to tell you guys about Agora print. Uh, this guy's a friend of my, ours, um, friend of my ladies as well. Uh, known him for a while. Very like-minded individual, um, hardcore agorist. Uh, he owns a uh, t-shirt company, printing shop, um, that's at agorisprint.org. And uh, he's printing some shirts for us, for the podcast. He's printing some shirts for, uh, he will be printing some shirts for my business. Uh, he takes, uh, you know, fiat, bitcoin, gold, silver, barter. He's he, He's up for all of that. Um, so go check him out at uh, agorisprint.org. Thanks. Bye. E- yeah, Economics for a Creative World, uh, where he basically argues, well, him and a bunch of other people, but he basically argue that, like, uh, the you, you can't, like, ever, like, mathematically formalize uh, the economy. Um, and because, like, it, the it's always changing. And so like any formalization you make at like one instance is going to be wrong in the next. Um, and so that means like, uh, like precise mathematical formulas are impossible. And so like you, you should more take, I don't know, like pick your, pick your favorite, like, you know, Eastern brand of mysticism that like emphasizes, you know, like, uh, going with the flow and like not, you know, sticking to anything too much. Um, uh, but like uh, the next level is, uh, but no, in more practical terms, uh, and this brings in the public choice aspect is public choice theory is like basically just, you know, bringing like really boring mundane economic analysis to like how people make political decisions. Um, and like, you know, like, baseline uh one of the fundamental assumptions of like you know basic economics is like you know it starts with individuals not collective actors and so like okay um individuals when they are making economic decisions like they are faced with you know incentives and they are faced with like limits to their knowledge 
Um, and okay, that 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 shapes things. Um, and and yet like yet like a whole bunch of really cool outcomes. And and this is just from like basic public choice stuff. Like uh, a lot of the stuff I took from my article was just like from you know some introduction to public choice theory book that like you know it's really simple. Um, so like what what one thing is like um, uh, so like smaller. Okay, one thing that's like directly relevant for um like concerns over class is um one finding from public choice is that smaller groups um actually have an advantage uh in certain respects over larger groups when it comes to uh overcoming collective action problems and the reason is is that smaller groups uh well so a big part of it is transaction costs which are the costs of uh people coming together to agree on doing something um, so obviously smaller groups, because they've got less people, uh, they have lower transaction costs because like, there's just, you know, getting the, uh, like preferences of everyone involved and what they want. Like it just takes less time because like, you know, there's just, there's just less back and forth. Right. Um, and then also smaller groups, um, uh, they can, they can enforce, uh, the, um, they can enforce like. They, they, they can do enforcement better, which um, again is related to transaction costs. Uh, so if you've got like a large group of people, uh, all of whom are contributing like a little, um, you know, it it doesn't really matter if like some dudes just like decide to check out because like you're losing, you're, you're not losing that much. Uh, and also like, you know, there's so many people, it's kind of hard to keep track. Uh, if you have a smaller group, you know, it's like far more obvious when someone isn't pulling their weight. Um, you know, uh, and and oh, and then also um, the um, group size is important because of the benefits. So you know, if you have like a uh, hundred people, uh, oh gee, I, I'm not going to do the math. Off, I'm not, not going to do the math off the top of my head because I might get it wrong. But like, uh, you could have like a benefit. Okay, so there could be like some collective action that uh, you know would benefit like a large amount of people, and the net benefit of that collective action would be like pretty significant. And then you could have a collective action that benefits a small amount of people, and the net benefit would be far smaller in terms of like from the perspective of society. But because that smaller group, um, like each individual person benefits more than the each individual person of the larger group, you would expect that the um, smaller group would like be more motivated to pursue the collective action. Um, and this, the, the really interesting part, and this is like really directly relevant for talking about class is that the opposite is true. No, it, the same dynamic plays out when it comes to losses, right? So um, if you've got like a large group of people and they all suffer like small losses, like it is not, uh, it is not rational for them to uh, like overcome uh, the losses that they are suffering because, like you know, let's say some law gets passed that costs me like ten dollars a year, right? And it would cost me like a hundred dollars of my time to get it repealed. I mean, like it is not rational for me to uh, like try to overcome that. Um, and like, and like, even in, even when you start talking about, you know, like, okay, yeah, but what if people like altruistic and stuff, like, you know, um, 
like it like you can still get in situations where like you know the ma the math is just like yeah like it's just not rational for people to you know like um like try to uh solve certain things and this is this is really important um because like right here you have like a very simple model that like immediately gets you like oh okay so small group of people uh can enact policy um and it can like cause a large group of people to suffer like just little but not enough that like they want to you know like go fucking do something about it like that is obviously a model for how like rent seeking happens um and i don't know if i talk about it in the book uh well so the the other the other thing oh yeah so that that's a simple model for rent seeking uh and then the other thing is uh transaction costs um they, they create like they they create basically like positive sum relations between like elites uh and i'm using elites in like basically just people who have outsized amounts of influence is kind of my working definition here um and because like e each individual has limited attention um and that means that it is just easier for um be because like you know if you're going to be making arrangements with someone else uh you most people would like like for it to be positive some so it, it just what you get what you get with that is like uh elites like coming together to you know engage in positive some behavior behavior between themselves um and it's it's not that they're like bad people although you know i think there's like good reasons to think that there are other incentives that would lead bad people to occupy those positions but it's just that the nature of transaction costs because it's just harder for you know someone to like negotiate with like a lot of people and you know like find what works best for like a whole bunch of different people because that is just harder it is like you you have these like incentives that are driven by people's limitations on communication and like processing information to like convert like <sighs> like there, there is sort of this centralizing tendency in terms of like people's relationships um yeah and um that 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 is then like amplified by having a uh monocentric system where there is like a these like key positions of power uh from which you can like dictate uh you know like how things should be um so yeah ho hopefully that was a i yeah um hopefully that was a good enough summary no, yeah i would um yeah, and yeah, I know I would really recommend uh, when the article comes out, reading your article and just kind of um, brushing up on public choice theory because it's nothing that I've uh, studied formally, but I've picked up quite a bit over uh, over the years through listening to some some uh, libertarian of, of various sorts podcasts, but like uh, or just one in particular I'm thinking of. But um, yeah, this kind of 
theory is like really really fundamental to like my critique of the state like i'm not I, of course there are multiple facets and directions from which you can come at a critique of the state and i i don't necessarily emphasize all of those that different libertarians of different tendencies tend to um even though if i understand them like yeah okay i i, I do understand the natural law thing and i actually Agree to some uh, natural natural rights or whatever, to, um, and agree to some extent in various other frameworks. And there's no social contract and the NAP. I I I get all that and and various other critiques. But I think from just looking at the governing function of the state or the state the state with its governing function and a critique of that, the idea that it's a way by le by the fact that it is a mono um, a monocentric uh, like power structure where small groups of people can um have the ability to like uh like invest re relatively like invest a certain amount and reap really big rewards so a, a concentrated benefit with diffuse costs throughout a society and they're able to do that for some of the reasons you described to be able to understand that dynamic it's like really important a to understand the problem and how how we got there, and why the the structure of a governing state, like a monocentric governing state, is so problematic. Because I think that's kind of inherent to the design is that you're you're always going to be able to kind of have uh, that concentrate that small group being able to. It's basically like an investment. Like a capital investment to invest a certain amount of resources and kind of multiply that to get a concentrated benefit through the government and that diffuse costs like as you mentioned and that this is really helpful is not enough in any particular case to kind of create that um ability or need to like rap or desire to rationally kind of fight it or fight it in a very strong or radical way um and that's really kind of like rinse and repeat that's really how we get a lot of the problems of, of the governing state and um yeah that i think that's a really important uh really important theory for sure yeah yeah and but what i also like about it is um it's like kind of fractal in terms of like well it's it's I think I think the term from like physics is like scale free. So this is like a dynamic that you know doesn't just play out at like the top level of society, but like you can see it play out throughout. Um like for example, um like one really obvious uh uh example of this is uh like rent seeking with like housing in America where like it's not you know it's not just like big investment firms coming in and like buying up all the housing and then like making it impossible to build anymore it's also like you know local uh people who you know like own a house and now it's like worth you know five five times the amount that it was when they got it uh and you know they want to protect that investment because like they don't have anything else uh and so like you know those are the people who show up to like you know uh, local council meetings on like you know uh, uh, like allowing new property to be built uh, and then yes. like you can go even further like you don't even need to have a power structure for these sorts of dynamics to play well you don't even need to have a formal power structure for these dynamics to play out um, like one of uh, a 
fantastic book in the um, public choice tradition that isn't like consciously public choice is um, Political Parties by, uh, I think, Robert Michelle. Uh, it was like this famous, uh, it was this famous like book uh, looking at the German Social Democratic Party and like how it operated internally that was like published in the 1920s. Um, and like it talks about the same sorts of dynamics and like the author who became a fascist, like I just, you know, want to be explicit about that, but it's still like a good piece of sociology. And like the author's like pointing out like, oh yeah, you know, like social Democrats, you know, like back when like these guys were like genuinely radical, uh, like, you know, they talk big game about democratizing society and like democratizing the economy. And yet when it comes to like how they actually operate internally, uh, you know, it's like, it's like an oligarchy, like the rest of it. Um, yeah. And like, I, I, I think just, um, I think, I think just like the, uh, like the consequences, like the, the power dynamics that can emerge around like people's limited capacity for communication and for attention, I think is just really unappreciated. Um, and like some of my favorite, um, like social anarchisty sort of stuff, uh, is like, you know, is it might, it might not be like, you know, uh, using these terms, but like it, it's very like, it's like very obviously like, you know, uh, in the same direction and looking at the same things. Um, yeah, I, yeah. So I just wanted to mention that. So zooming out just a little bit, um, how do I want to say this? So not only speaking about public choice theory, but also things like, like you were saying, like with rent seeking or, um, regulations, zoning laws, um, licensing or occupational licensing, all these things, you would think that this would be something that market anarchists and um, anarcho-communists and even Marxists, and some of them do, this is a broad generalization speaking from my own experience, but it seems to me that this should all be in agreement, but it's not. So if you take sort of the Marxist definition of what the state is, a, a um, the oppression of one class by another, all we're really speaking about, even in this conversation, you know, with public choice theory or rent sinking, is just how these things, how one class methodologically oppresses another, right? But I don't see that like a lot with um, whether it's... it's um, um, anarchist communists or or marxist you'd think that they would understand that how um things like regulation how that benefits a capitalist class from their perspective or how um you know um these sort of um economic regulations or social regulations or how governmental structures benefit um, those small finance groups of financial interests and all these kinds of things. I mean, I know Coco absolutely understood this and there is, uh, there's certainly a lot of communists and even Marxists who absolutely understand this, but generally speaking, they seem to be more in favor of governmentalism or regulation or IRS. I mean, let's just talk about how the IRS 
absolutely benefits the the uh, corporate class. Yet, you know, you see some of them that are very soft on it. And they're like, well, at least they're going to tax the rich and we can, you know, achieve wealth distribution some way through that. When in, you know, the in actuality, when these things are in place, it generally tends to benefit um, the biggest players amongst our society, financially speaking. So why is it, do you think that, is it, does it come from a fundamental difference in analysis of the state? Is that the reason why there isn't uh, an agreement here or is, um, is there something else I'm missing? Yeah, I, so I, I actually don't like, I can't give it a definite answer, uh, sure. but I, if, if like anyone out there, uh, you know, like wants to, you know, do a history uh, on this for like their PhD, because I think that's what it would take. Like, I, I will give you money on Patreon. Uh, so <laughs> there you go. Uh, no, I, I my, my guess is, though, I think um, it's like the really boring answer and is that I think it's just like uh, sociologic, like it's just like the influence of peers and like, you know, people sorting uh, by like affiliation and then like, you know, developing filter bubbles and like not breaking out of it, I think is, uh, I think, I think that's the answer. Uh, it's like, you know, like I, and I, I, I would need like, I don't know, like I, I'd need to like talk to, you know, older activists and like you know be more involved in activism myself to like you know really definitively say uh on this but like my my general impression is like you know uh you like you're like involved in like you know doing something and like you know you're, you're not like all doctrinaire like anarchists or whatever and like you know you're going to be influenced by the people you're around with like especially you know if like you want to get something done like it just makes sense to you know not be like oh you know let's now have like a debate over these very like fine fundamentals that may have like significant significant differences in terms of like consequence like in the long run but like for now you know like you know we just want to like you know stop pollution or like you know fucking like get a union like you know like come on like we're not we're not gonna fight over this um and so i think i think like that sort of like uh socio like just like ideological drift uh and like kind of meshing together just because like you know you don't want to be confrontational i think that's part of it uh, i think i think also like the the, the d- dynamics of academia also play a big role um like <laughs> the late david graeber has like this great bit about how like you know m- marxism is like particularly suited for academia um he's got like this line about you know you start like listing off different marxist tendencies and it's all like you know names of like guys with big beards so you know you've got marxism marxism leninism and then like it turns into you know like philosophy professors like althusser and whatever um and like i think i think just like you know the having like like the mar- mar- Marxism is like suited for academia because, you know, like you can make like these big claims and like, it's all within this tradition and, you know, you can like easily fight with other people. Uh, and like, it'll it, like, you know, it like really em- emphasizes like the importance of like having an intellectual class. Uh, and then like, you know, 
like atticism just not so much um and in like that may be changing like i've read some things people being like oh yeah you know there's more like anarchists in academia um like whatever i think i think like in the long run like doing stuff on the internet is like just far more suited to uh yeah uh <laughs> like the the general anarchist spirit anyway whatever um i um yeah so I, I i think just like i think just like you know uh i think i think just like sociological cl clustering and you know, like people using like the wrong terms uh like play plays a big role like you know like like robert nozick uh using like oh you know like consenting like capitalist acts of like exchange between adults uh you know like that that really like triggers people um and you know i i made a joke uh on twitter about like how you can do like ideological arbitrage between like different groups uh you know where like you take the concepts from one group and then you go to another group and then like you repackage it in their language and then suddenly you look like a genius uh because like you know they, they don't really understand and like you, you know you can get a lot of mileage out of that um and and i i, I think um i think what that joke like shows is i think like the internet is really breaking down uh, a lot of these barriers um for better or worse and um i i, I think like i i think that i i would hope uh, and i think this is like a rational optimism that like you know these sort of like biases uh within like the next decade they won't be gone completely but i think like you know people will be like more comfortable with it so yeah um, yeah, that that's really, uh, excuse me, um, that's really great. Um, it kind of got me thinking, though. I think we were just talking about just a, a, a kind of common tendency that we might see, and I don't want to just pick on like social anarchists or the libertarian left or, or people on the left, in, well, people on the left in general that are, are, are more anti-authoritarian. Um, you certainly see this on the more supposedly anti-authoritarian right or like libertarian um anti-establishment strongly anti-establishment right and and various tendencies in general um where they generally some that kind of lean towards one of the supposed or so-called wings that um they often will defect um so like there are strong anti-authoritarian anti-government and anti-state uh principles and then they will often defect towards a like a left unity or a right unity or just a general like the closest in proximity like mainstream opinion or opinion that's being pushed by like uh, with a significant um force or just like stuff that's out of the headlines which is kind of basically saying the same thing and um now I, i'm not one of those people that say hey you, you should never like opine or support people or incorporate into your movement people that are working in some like nexus with the the system in its broadest sense i'm not going to be that person that says that you're absolutely like to every person it, with this vague anywhere in the anti-authoritarian sphere that you're like you are not to engage it with like in any nexus with the state or the establishment or or anything i understand that the idea of like harm reduction and um just kind of creating the necessary conditions that don't absolutely prevent like 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 we were talking with um 
Kevin Carson recently just to create so you don't have it like an absolute. I mean, I don't know how valid this was on the scale. He was kind of talking about it, but like, yeah, to some extent, obviously, so you don't have like some kind of just absolute fascist takeover. This absolutely prevent any kind of of, of liberation um, or decentralization or anything else. But you know, I, I think on the in the left tendencies, you do see the kind of the idea of like, oh yeah, we're going to regulate, we're going to rein in, we're going to raise taxes, tax the rich, we're going to and, and, and achieve some kind of distributive justice and whatever. And I think what's kind of missing from that, besides one thing, the public choice economics, uh, but like the idea of like who is, how does government, how does politics work? Who is like writing the regulations? Who's doing the regulating? Like what board, who's on the boards? And, doing the regulation you know i.e like mentioning um regulatory capture um who's writing the regulations who 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 lobbies for these things and what are the motivations behind these actors and generally like again i focus a lot i I don't want to be like this economics heavy guy because i really don't have any like formal training there but like i really do focus on like rent seeking as one of the like the modern heavy government state is a way for like small groups to kind of get that kind of lobby government for that like multiplying effect of like concentrated mm-hmm. benefit the cost imposed on all society and it's like that's what's occurring a large portion of the time when when mm-hmm. any sort of regulation when corporations are being reined in i mean when when uh the tech companies are supposed to be, for example, regulated. Uh, Facebook is pushing that, and they're putting like millions, if not, I mean, multiple millions, into like advertising and advocating for the regulation of, of like social media tech companies. And there's there's an obvious reason for that, and I just see that that um, that's a multifaceted one. But just in, in, in economic ones, like the, the left seems to really kind of kind of push and support these things thinking that i don't know they're coming from the left and they often are hey all sec here i wanted to tell you about agoristacres.com they're a seed company uh friends of the show uh this is where i get my seeds from uh here at the homestead um they've got a lot a big wide variety of seeds um, they got free shipping on orders over uh, 20 bucks. It's fast shipping. Um, if you place an order, it'll be shipped next business day. A lot of cool packaging. And you can pay with uh, crypto right on the site. Um, and they're, they're agorists. And uh, they also believe in the, the importance of producing your own food. Um, and um, they have a wide variety of seeds that you won't necessarily find in a lot of other places. A lot of cool varieties, interesting um, seeds. And they can, if there's something that you're looking for, they can probably get it for you too. So um, check out agoristacres.com. And if you use promo code uh, Agora10, uh, you'll save yourself 10%. Thanks, guys. Test, All right, little trip. connection issues. Um, anything else we wanted to um, go over from this this first article? Um, or, uh, no, yeah, I. Sorry, I just I just really want to emphasize like how I think like a lot of what Penguin was talking about uh, with regards to like you know leftists being like okay government bad but also like maybe we can use it 
is um I think I think that really just stems from like you know this sort of like I I actually put it more as like it is like a default tradition. It's you know it's just like one of these you know like uh like it, not even tradition. It's just like a a, a more I think like it's just like you know something that people do, and it's like so just like baked into how things are done that it's like not really questioned um and i think um i i need to do more research on this but uh i like i really think some of this has to do with like the way that um social like social democracy as a movement played out like originally social democracy was like pretty fucking radical um like the most famous social democratic party the german socialist german social democratic party like you know they were like they were like rat more in like their golden years they were like more radical than like libertarians like you know they were banned by the state uh you know they were like in constant low-level conflict with it um they like kind of built up uh well no like the like the constituency they served of like workers had like built up a you know a counter society uh of like you know local like clubs and like unions uh and all that good stuff um but like they didn't really have a plan for like how to run the economy in a socialist fashion and for like a confluence of factors they ended up getting like quite a bit more power than they thought they'd have uh like when, when they first started out like they were like constantly oppositional to the government like they would take seats but like they wouldn't participate at all uh and like part of this was the fact that like you know the government was like you're not allowed to so like all right okay we may as well just be oppositional um but then like after the first world war i think uh they like are basically integrated into the german state and like they that obviously like one you know like far more opportunists get involved because like you know you don't have to be as self-sacrificing as like when it was more radical uh but also like they didn't really have like an idea of what to do economically and they were just like all right well let's just you know fucking do some statism regulation uh and like you know, they're like, oh, well, uh, Marx's fury of the declining rate of profit means eventually we'll see a revolution. So, like, you know, let's just keep keep the workers, uh, like, you know, keep them, like, moderately okay until that happens. And, you know, then they can, like, rise up and take over. Um, and I, I, yeah, so I think, like, that, that like, assumption, uh, no, sorry there's like there's like a bunch of writing and i'm gonna like eventually put all this into a single article one day uh so it's a bit messy right now in my head but like the, i think there's like a really good case to be made that like you know they were social democratic parties like were initially like quite oppositional because like they couldn't really be integrated and then they got integrated and then they like just kind of defaulted to like you know basic like center-left statism uh, in terms of like regulation, regulating stuff and like providing welfare. And like, that was just, that was more like, just like they wandered into this 
uh, without like thinking it through. And they're like, well, we got to do something, right? So like, why not this? Um, and then like, you know, that has kind of just become the common sense for the left. Um, and like, obviously, like that has a whole bunch of really fucking toxic, uh, like that. That's just like really toxic, toxic in a whole bunch of ways, right? Um, yeah. So this this seems to be a pattern with most uh, movements and organizations that that eventually they <laughs> will be either crushed or co-opted by the state. So this to me is more like an argument against uh, organizations and movements rather than anything else, including political parties. Um, that being said, I think, so I've read works from Marx and Engels that on the one hand seem to be very supportive of um, the social democratic party in Germany. And then I've read others that seem to be just shitting on it all over the place as being sort of petty bourgeois. It was the party of the petty bourgeois or, or whatever else. What was, um, what was, uh, what is the Marxist take on social democracy as a political party or movement? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know about like petty bourgeois. Um, that might've been like, I think that was angles, but yeah, well, boy, I, 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 I don't know. Uh, I, I'm sure like, I, I know that like, you know, uh, they had beef with like certain socialist movements that were like far more drawing on like artisanal workers and peasants. Uh, and they were like, dismissive of those as petty bourgeois but like uh the 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 social democratic party in germany is like arguably like the most marxist like the marxist party like it had like Engels and marx were like you know directly involved right. with like the people who set it up and um you know like would write like critiques of you know its like program and stuff uh Eng engels has this one quote uh about how like the german social democratic party with like you know its couple million voters is like the decisive shock force of the proletariat um yeah um so you, you might be thinking of some other like you know like fucking socialist history is like really complicated and messy um so, and a lot of shit flinging at each other yes there's yeah, yeah 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 and and just like uh, a lot of splits um god so many splits uh which again predicted by public choice stuff around like you know transaction costs so there you go <laughs> so um What's the name of this article that you're, we're we're referring to again? Yeah, um, it's called uh, it's called why uh, why anarchists should it's I I can't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, why anarchists should know what public choice theory is. Um, yeah. Um, I might be thinking of Lenin actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh, no, yeah, it, yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> Um, yes, I don't spend much time like reading Marxists these days. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so, I where is that article going to be published? 
Um, uh, I've currently given it to uh, guys at the C four C four SS to uh, you know, do some editing on. Um, yeah. Okay, right on. Um, just so people can find that. Um, uh, all right, well, we'll start back to that too. I want you to get, let everybody know where these are going to be found and where where some of your cool content. But I know, Seth, you are are re- really ready to talk about this next article. It's mm. right up your alley, and I'm I'm sorry I haven't gotten a chance to uh, read it uh, myself. But you, you definitely gave a great introduction, and we're going to be ta- we're going to be coming back to some really familiar topics uh, for our podcast. But um. This uh, the the theories that coming out of this are just gonna like be this kind of mind blowing thing that we kind of talk about historically the progression of industrialization and capitalism and all that. So why don't you just kind of introduce the gist of of the article title and like um, yeah what what kind of thesis you're making in there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So this is a review of forces forces of production uh, by David Noble. Uh, who is like a social historian of American technology? Um, who's like pretty radical? I think. Um, I think actually, like in the introduction to this book, he talks about how like him writing it got him fired from I think the Smithsonian. Um, yeah, and it's like just it's it's just a really brutal uh, takedown of uh, uh, like the processes of that like gave rise to uh, a particular type of automation technology uh, in like mid-century America. Um, Yeah. So basically it's like this, it's a very, very detailed, like my God, uh, it would, if like anyone out there, probably not going to happen, but if anyone out there, like, you know, wants to make a net Netflix show, uh, please try and get the rights to this book. It's really fucking detailed. You could really make something of this. Um, anyway, it it's the story of how um, uh, the uh, like various forces from like capitalists to management to the military all promoted uh, this form of automation that was deliberately designed to de-skill workers even at the expense of profit um, to like make the workforce more manageable. Uh, And it is like, it is in some faces like quite darkly funny, uh, just how like overt and obvious this is. Um, One example is he gives of uh, like the, like the programming had to be done by like really like he, he like talks about how like programming required like you know uh like you know trained expert mathematicians um and yet like okay so that like obviously you know like would seem to indicate that like oh you know like okay like the workers shop floor workers like are never going to be like skilled enough to um like understand how this works and then he like one one of the examples he gives of like you know just how messed up everything is is um this like report done by this group surveying the use of these machines um and they come in and they look at like the workers on the shop floor and the workers are like you know taping taking the programming like the tape that the program is 
are stored on and they're like looking at it uh and the reason why is because like the machines are like pretty unpredictable and also like you know programmers make errors and so like you know they're trying to look ahead to like determine um you know uh if the machines are gonna like you know make mistakes or like do something that might like injure them um and like that's like you know uh, an obvious sign that like these workers have figured out how to like reverse engineer the programming just by looking at like the tape they're given. And then like, you know, the people like doing this report, like, you know, bring this up to the management and the manager like, Oh, you know, nothing's going on here. Don't worry about it. And then eventually they break down. They're like, yeah, uh, we could teach the workers how to program, but then like we would be able to manage them. And like, that's the entire point. Um, and it's just it's just full of like all these stories that are just like oh my god like it's just so blatant like the like like how inefficient it all is um and and the only reason the only reason that this like uh this this form of um automation uh succeeded that you know could be done by like this very sort of closed off and sterile uh like analytical approach and not ones that like allowed workers to program the machines for themselves and like would thus have more autonomy um and like more bargaining power uh was that like the air force basically came in and was like all right like you know we're just gonna like spend a shitload of money uh but yeah, before you had cut out, you were talking about um, a very specific example of automation in an American factory. And yeah. Was, I think mandated by the government. Um, yeah. Specifically that, you know, you know, this is kind of even mandated outside of the interest of the firms themselves. Yeah. 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 So I, hmm. Yeah, it, it is. It's really interesting. Um, so someone's I, conscious of this of this tendency. I mean, there's 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 a conscious. It's a, it's also a conscious tendency. I think. Of some yeah. Of so I, I, I think um I think I want to take issue with you saying it's in the interest of the firm because, again, it's like you know, uh, methodological collectivism, right? It's like okay, yes, it may be not in the interest of like you know, this mythical subject that we call a firm. But in terms of like the management within the firm who are like making decisions about what gets done on the shop floor, it is very much in their interest, right? Um, okay. And- well, I mean, it did, I guess it depends on how you look at it because it, it kind of goes back, I don't know, it, uh, I could be wrong about this comparison, but kind of goes back to like the public choice thing. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not so much, but like the idea that, Okay. Yes, it it may go against the immediate like profit maximization or like mm. efficiency mo- uh, incentives of the firm, mm. but like the the firm overall and firms collectively, but even just the firm in the long term, is is going to want to kind of maintain that centralized control over workers. But that does yeah take a sort of conscious effort that's kind of like yeah 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 far like kind yeah. of differing from like collective issues because you think the, fir- the firms would absent like some really like i don't know like some really conscious theory about this like overall like trend t- trend towards profit maximization and it doesn't seem to be yeah 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 i think no i think i think that's yeah i think i think i think you're right actually um it's like hmm i 
it's more like there are like different levels of incentives for like the people within like the game uh and like the different groups have different incentives and like while you would expect uh in certain like in certain contexts like certain incentives to play out um like you know the long run the long run can be like a pretty far way away right so like um <laughs> yeah i think i think actually i think you do have a point though uh and that that's like something that i noticed that you know david noble the guy who wrote this book doesn't bring up but like you know if you read between the lines like you can kind of infer it's like actually yeah you know if if like the state hadn't stepped in to like such a large degree um you might have actually expected like profit maximization or at the very least like profit seeking uh to result in like an outcome that was far more favorable to worker autonomy um uh in fact i i'm maybe gonna try contrasting what happened in america with um toyota in japan uh and the reason why is that toyota is sort of famous for employing a system of organization that gives like far more autonomy to the frontline workers um they've got like this very famous uh like they had this very like famous like rope on it that would like be connected to a bell that like any worker could pull um in like the production line for making cars and if like a worker pulled that like the entire thing would stop and the worker would be able to like you know explain what they thought the problem was and that's like you know that, that that's obviously not perfect but like you know in terms of autonomy that's like miles away from the sort of um high modernist approach that was taken uh by american firms and so i think i think yeah, and we'll get into this in a bit. Like, I think, I think, like the institutional environment that these things are within, I think, like you know, shapes outcomes considerably. And while I think there are like ultimately, you know, really toxic incentives at the heart of it, I think there's also like a lot of uh, there's like a lot of freedom. Um, there's far more freedom than um, you know, uh, simple like teleological uh, accounts of how technology develops. Uh, would ha- would have you believe, which I, which I think is good because you know it's it's within that freedom that like there's any hope for us, right? Okay, but yeah, and and just to kind of um go back to maybe some of the uh, introductions that we kind of talked about before the, the podcast started, I think the general thesis, or at least your takeaway, or at least your takeaway in 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 the terms of like the stuff that we talk about from a broadly li- like libertarian sense, is that um. Technology, um, industrial technology specifically, um, developed. So the, the claim is that it developed in a way that w- was where firms employed technology, like inefficient technology, but ones that you know kind of maximized the, uh, or not maximized, but increased uh, centralized control at the potential mm-hmm. expense of profit. Just to clarify for our um, listeners who probably who might who might not be able to read the article or haven't read the article yet. Yeah. Um, and that's really, I've, that's really interesting because I've never heard that before. You know, a lot of this does kind of r- remind me of Carson, but that's, that's, that's a line of things mm. that, and I'm glad you were able to kind of read what sounds like a pretty difficult read and kind of, um, review it and kind of talk about it on our podcasts. But, um, that's, that's really interesting that like, it's, you know, it seems to be like 
a a a real conscious tendency and it kind of goes back to something that we talk about a lot on the podcast a lot a lot is that um and i think i really just for, i just speaking for myself i think i really get a lot of this just from carson himself is like that mm. um, in, in terms of industrialization and sec like to go back farther than that but like technology has developed in a way that um like technology doesn't develop in a vacuum technology is the mm. result of research which involves funding which result mm. involves resources and, and and whatnot and people make choices of like what to research and then what yep. research technologies are like uh you know implemented or tried out or ultimately mm. kind of make it into the um in industrial world and so like this doesn't happen in a vacuum and so obviously choice is a made to, to uh, go with technology um, that I think increases centralization to some extent. But you you seem to have, understand a lot of like examples of this in general. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Ke Kevin Carson like literally cites um, this book uh, in like a bunch of places. Like I'm I'm very certain he cites it in Organization Theory. I know he cites it in Homebrew. Um, yeah. Uh, I I. I like i yeah so you know uh also uh james c scott cites it at the end of seeing like a state um he's got this great line about how uh it's it's like a it's like a throwaway paragraph but um you know i think it really gets to the core of um of like what what i'm trying to do here which is like he's like yeah like you know uh capitalists they don't just like seek to maximize profit they seek to maximize control uh, and then profit. Um, I really enjoyed this article and I, I didn't read it mm. thoroughly. I kind of just skimmed it, but um, yeah. this to me is just a, it's a microcosm of, mm. well, number one, it supports a lot of things that I've been saying for a long time, but, mm. and, I, and I always enjoy that. But um, number two, it's, it really um, speaks to a, a larger institutional problem. I guess mm. to where um, number one, yes, power and control is more important to those who rule us and not even mm. just speaking in terms of workers, but in terms of controlling population oh, yeah. for politicians, power and control as much and industrial Titans and CEOs, all of these things. Profit is almost secondary to them. They see mm. they. I would say that they value power and control more than um, profit. And this is not true for every one of them, obviously. But just speaking generally, um, you know, you can get a lot more money in the long term if you maintain control. I guess so. I guess one kind of plays off the other. But number two, um, like Penguin was saying, technology doesn't um, develop in a bubble. You know, throughout history in the history of states uh technological advances because of the system that we live in and have lived in for many many generations technology generally grows and progresses to serve power and and institutional structures rather than anything to do with um improving our individual lives or you know um empowering humanity or progressing humanity it's more um to serve the the these institutions of control um and that's you know that's true for industrial workers in a factory setting but that's also true 
uh, on a larger scale um, for all of society. Right. Um, so that 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 couple of few examples you gave of of things internal to a firm that is exactly how society works under a, a centralized system. It's the same. It's the same thing that you see in that. that what you see in the firm is the same thing. That's how society works, um, and that's how all technology. To all technology, okay, not all. Most technology that advances or becomes popular will exist to serve the nation state and the corporate class, rather than um, rather than freeing us or making our lives better or growing our standard of living or anything like that. Um, so I, I really enjoy, I, I might try to take a tackle that book actually, cause it, it seems like a really interesting read. Um, but, uh, your article was, was great in that regard. Yeah. So actually, I, I actually want to push back on what you just said, Fire Thank away. You, but, but I, so I think, I think, I think actually like the argument that David Noble makes is that yes, like the end result of this was this system of control. And, you know, it's obviously bad in a whole bunch of ways, but um, it's, 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 it was far, far more fragile than um, like, you know, if you just kind of take, took a naive look at it, uh, like the outcome, uh, like, so for example, right. Uh, like another, another instance he has of like people trying new things, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was like some inventor who like, you know, recognized that the current, that the like system being pushed, the automation system being pushed is like, you know, really, really shitty. And like, we, we just do better guys. Um, and so like, you know, he invented his own thing and he's like trying to sell it to people. And like one of the selling points is like, oh yeah, it'll give like, you know, uh, more agency to, you know, people on the shop floor. Uh, and, you know, that made people like, yeah, we don't really want that. But um, one thing he tried to do was like, you know, reach out to uh, people in like unions, right? Um, and that didn't really go anywhere. Like uh, he mentions that, oh yeah, you know, like they met like one high up union official and like the union official was interested, but like nothing really came of it. But like uh, at, at, at the time, like the union movement in America was like still pretty strong. Um, and like, you know, had like these technologists who were like trying to invent these things, had they like, you know, gone to the workers and being like, Hey guys, like, you know, uh, you know, the, uh, technology that you use in like your day to day work, like, you know, you, you obviously know it sucks. Like, you know, you've got all these complaints, like you kind of have to, uh, like manage management because, you know, like they're really invested in this new shiny technology and it's not working. And like, you know, they're trying to come up with all these excuses. Why? Um, like, you know, let's work together. Like you guys put, put, put pressure on the bosses. Like, you know, I'll make a sales pitch to them. Like, you know, maybe we can make something happen. Um, and that didn't happen, but like it could have. Right. And I think, I think, I think like the fragility of the outcome, I think is actually like kind of hopeful. Um, so I, I end, I end the, um, I end the article talking about like 3d printing because I think, I think it is actually, uh, and, and you guys obviously know about this, but I think, I think it's actually like, even though, you know, it's still got like a long way to go. I think it's actually evidence that like, you know, if you change the, um, like institutional incentives, like, you can actually, you know, see some victories, right? Um, like, uh, 
one one thing I talk about like is um the RepRap 3D printer, uh, which from my research was like you know basically created by like some like you know uh nerdy um British like engineering professor who was like man like you know be fucking awesome if i had 3d printers uh that were like you know cheap and self-replicating uh i'm gonna go do that and then like you know made this open source 3d printer uh and like you know now it's taken off um and like 3d printers are really really cheap and like you know really good um uh and like i i think i think one other one other thing that is worth mentioning is like um i think platforms like kickstarter um have have played a role uh, i need to look further into this but like you know i i i like you know read an article that was like oh you know like top like 3d printing projects on kickstarter and like you know top ones like made like got like millions of dollars like put into them uh and i think i think the ability um of like just ordinary people to come together and like fund science or like fund engineering projects, uh, I think is like a, a really big shift um, because, you know, uh, part of the reason that like alternative technologies didn't take off was just that like, it was too expensive to um, like, you know, uh, like build them up um, and, that that that's a problem like you know kevin carston has talked about this it's like uh the entire justification for like you know seizing the means of production was that like you know people can't afford to buy them well okay what happens if that changes that people can afford to buy them yeah i mean we don't disagree <laughs> i think that hope lies in you know the the nerds and tinkerers in their garage you know and um you know, some of these technologies and, and even just better methods of producing f food and gardening in a, at a, at a local and community level and individual level. I think that's where the hope lies. And, um, one of our friends, Brian Sovereign, he's like, um, you know, this is how we will carve out, uh, you know, carve out an existence in the cracks, so to speak, but still the vast majority uh, if, like if you look at all of technology that exists and systems that exist currently, I would say on on the on the net, most of them exist as uh, to serve institutions mm. as a method of control. That's not saying that, of course, there is going to be very liberatory technologies, but on the whole, at least at this point and throughout most of human history since the existence of the state technology has uh, uh, essentially grown parallel with the state to you know serve centralized institutions now there's obvious uh, ex exceptions to this and that's where our hope lies and that's why i will never i won't write off technology entirely but um uh, that's you're right that that's where hope lies a 3d whether it's 3d printing or discovering a better method and a more efficient method for individuals to create food, water, energy, um, you know, um, home goods, uh, micro manufacturing, all of these things are awesome. And that's the, I don't see any other way to free ourselves other than that. But, um, that being said, I'm still, I, the, my point I think still remains true that, you know, um, technology as, it generally speaking exists uh, and grows and progresses to serve the state mostly. 
Yeah, I think it's kind of rational for like technology to develop that way. So historically speaking, uh, when I talk historically, I think sometimes we talk in a little bit different frames. I'm just talking about like the beginning of um, the industrial revolution that um, firms and, and since then firms are like organized along a centralized um, hierarchical structure. So it makes sense and to some extent, just like rationally for them to kind of develop technology. I mean, I mean, outside, obviously like, a conscious understanding that they want to minimize the agency of the worker. I don't think that's a far-fetched idea at all, but like, it's also rational that like, the, like the early technologies just developed along the lines that they were able to kind of manage, excuse me, manage and control the most easy. And I think uh, again, like uh, I'm a big proponent of saying like tech, we're at a level of technological development where we really are, are heading into like a different horizon when it comes to this this kind of stuff like distributed production just just mm. technology that promotes decentralization altogether yeah yeah okay yeah i definitely agree with what you two just said um i i i think it's just i think um i i do just really want to push back though against like overly like teleological accounts because i think um and this actually, to tie this back to my like stuff on public choice and Marxism, uh, I think that like a really big problem with Marxism is that it's not, it doesn't view like social conflict through an asymmetric lens enough. Like it doesn't emphasize that like the two groups uh, have like vastly different ways of how they would do things um in fact uh this isn't so true for marx but it is true for like his popularizers like engels right um he, in like one of his um pamphlets that was like popularizing marxism he was like okay like you know we're gonna get like you know big capitalist firms and they're gonna like develop these mechanisms to like you know manage and regulate themselves and like it's those mechanisms that will serve as the foundation for socialism uh lenin said similar things um and like you know we, we obviously think that's like awful and horrible but um i i think it's worth like emphasizing like the lack of as asymmetry in terms of um the capabilities of the actors right so like um if, if like you're organizing the same way as your enemy like you don't really have uh like like ways to do things that they can't right so like you know if you're organizing your, your you know your, your socialist revolution along like hierarchical lines like and you're going up against like a hierarchically organized opponent well, I mean, like, you know, whoever can just like out hierarchy the enemy, like that, that those are the, that, that's who's going to win, right? Um, and so I think like emphasizing uh, <laughs> to use like, you know, basic econ speak, um, like the comparative advantage, like things that we can do that things that we can do well that they cannot, and vice versa. So, like, you know, the like incredibly obvious, like, you know, point of like we should you know like engage them where they are weak and like avoid engaging them where they are strong this is and, sun do you're you're yeah yeah you're, yeah you're basically coming straight out of the art of war yeah 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 but i think i think it's not just like that like obviously you know if you want to like engage in activism protest like 
okay, there you go. But also like in terms of uh, technologically, in terms of like what we can do technologically, um, like, you know, there are things that like more autonomous, decentralized, like, uh, like ver- ways of organizing, like emphasize individual, like agency and autonomy. Uh, there are things that that can do that like, you know, hierarchical approaches just can't and vice versa. And like, um, yes, yes. Like the trajectory of technology, like is very concerning in a bunch of ways, but there are reasons to think that there are like certain problems that like our way can do like significantly better. And like, it's again, like, you know, talking about like in the cracks, um, I, I think, I think like, that's like the place to look really. It's like, okay, like what, what, what is it like this system like really sucks at that? Like, you know, we can do a whole lot better and we don't require much to do. Um, I, I think there's like a lot of potential there, especially because um, I, I just think like this is really like neglected as like a, a approach for change. Um, like, what is uh, just just like just like thinking in terms of like okay like you know what can people do that like is against the system that the system like really can't do and like would struggle to integrate i think as a like as like a way to orientate yourself towards action in the world i think like it it is kind of I, I I'd I'd have to do more I'd have to like look more into history to like definitively say but like just in terms of like how people talk about you know politics on the internet which okay it's not like a fucking French salon full of intellectuals but like just that I I really see outside like you know our circles like that get mentioned at all and I think like emphasizing that. Um, I, I, I think like you get a lot out of it. Just just if for no other reason, then there's like probably a lot of low hanging fruit just because like people have ignored it, right? So yeah. I actually I couldn't agree with you more of what you just said. Um mm. I think our, our and like I said before, I think our hope lies in playing to our strengths and um fighting against the state's weaknesses. And with the state I'm also including this, you know, the syst- overall system we have. And this is also simultaneously the same reason I have made an argument against sort of revolution. And when I say revolution, I mean as defined as we all need to unify, rise up, and then overthrow, you know, uh, the, you know, the government, et cetera. And to me, that we you have essentially played to the government's strengths. That is what the state is good at. And you've basically attempted to mirror the state, um, but you're not going to outstate the state, right? So I agree with your your uh, overall analysis, and maybe you didn't exactly mean it in this way, but <clears throat> we have other methods of, uh, I'll say, resistance. We have other methods of resistance and um, ways to uh, build something new, an alternative to the state where we have a lot going um for us whether you know, you know whether it's te- technological technological advances or forming new organizational structures whatever the case may be 
um, what we have going for us is the individual peer-to-peer decision-making that we can achieve that the state is not good at. And this, to me, is a greater method of resistance, for lack of a better term, to the state power than anything else. You know, march with your 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 weapons all you want to. You know, do mm. you do you have a, a local community structure in your in your neighborhood where you guys can uh, grow your own food or swap? You know, maker. You know, have maker spaces or swap information, skills, that kind of thing. Is mm. far more um, that peer to peer relationship applied to everything is far more beneficial for our own goals than attempting to outmaneuver the 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 state on its own terms yeah so, so it's it's you know to go back to sun Tzu, it's you never fight a superior enemy on a on a battlefield of its choosing according to mm. its strengths so we need to fight the state according to its weaknesses based on our strengths which is what you've just been talking about you know these um peer-to-peer technologies and or or advancements in liberatory technologies or or methods of organization anything that anything along those lines um it really it's whatever you're interested in as a human being but um that that is where our hope lies i i think Mm -hmm. it's not i i don't look for any kind of like long you know we all need to unify and one day we'll see the glorious revolution that to me is (laughs) that yeah it's funny to hear me say those words but uh that to me uh, you're essentially creating a mirror image to the state and you're never going to win on those terms yeah it's not even that it's it's just so far-fetched also (laughs) given you know the state of things oh yeah yeah herding cats or whatever yeah i'm just giving a state of politics and everything but yeah go ahead uh frank Yeah, I, well, first of all, I was going to say also, like, I mean, you know, uh, I, I I refuse to join your revolution until, like, you know, you have, like, a detailed analysis of how to overcome a nuclear power. Um, but beyond that, uh, I think I think one thing that, I don't know, I, I really want to emphasize in uh, my article on public choice is um, I think there's, like, a real, so there's, like, a real asymmetry in terms of, and this again has to do with tr- transaction costs. There's a real asymmetry between like a between like a politics that tries to empower people and a polit- politics that tries to restrict people. In terms of, uh, like, in terms of um, like getting consensus, no consensus or agreement or like, you know, just coming together to decide on anything, right? Um, so if you have a politics of empowering people, right, uh, you you necessarily, like by definition, your transaction costs for coming together uh, on what should be done is going to be higher than like a politics that wants to restrict people. Like if you want to just, you know, make sure that, you know, people uh, live like some some way that it doesn't matter what it is, but it's just like a predefined way, like getting people on board is like, like you don't just like what, like it's either like a yes or no thing. Like, okay. Like, you know, you want to like live like a trad trad life or whatever. Uh, Like, okay. You're either yes or no. That's it. Okay, cool. You're in. All right, cool. I'm going to go like boss you around. Um, Great. If if it's like okay, like you know, I wanna I wanna I wanna politics that like you know, 
every single person should be free to like decide for themselves what they want to do with their life and like you know uh like we should abolish uh like all these scarcities and like you know people should be like able to uh flourish as much as possible like there's kind of a massive contradiction uh between that and like an organizational approach there's like okay cool like you're gonna join my group and then i'm gonna boss you around right um and like i think like this is this is not just like uh philosophically a problem it's also like a problem practically like okay let's say you know you're um like organizing for something and like you got a bunch of people who are starving right and then like you know you you win and now suddenly they're not starving i mean okay now they have a lot more time to like think about what they actually want right <laughs> and they're not gonna be like so driven by hunger that like they'll be like okay cool like i'll, I'll just do whatever to get bread like you know, like, I, I really don't care, like, what, what should I have to put up with? Um, like, I, I'll just do it. Um, and so, like, I, I, I think that tension is, like, really unappreciated. Um, and it, like, I, I, I and, and, like, I, I'm using these, as, like, you know, very simple examples. Like, I, I, I've, I've, I've got friends who, like, you know, have dealt with homelessness and, like, would at the same time, like, read, you know, big books on philosophy while homeless. So, like, obviously you know uh your material conditions like they shape you but they don't like determine you but like i i i think you see my point right um and yeah it just means that like you, you take that seriously it just means like yeah you're not gonna like the idea of like some like mass movement like one okay you have good luck getting consensus uh but two like as you see as you see like successes like the the motivations that got people to sign up like just aren't going to be the same and like you know you'd expect people to like stop taking part and like yeah <laughs> no and we've said that before you know it's <clears throat> it's easy to talk philosophy until you got to put food on your kids table or somebody's got to what i always say is you know it's easy to have principles until somebody's got a gun to your kid's head you know, so it's like when when these material conditions, you're right. You don't want to take autonomy away from um, people. But, you know, I would do a lot of things if my kids were going hungry. Do you know what I mean? So, oh, yeah, I yeah. Can, yeah, yeah. So I can absolutely empathize with people that, you know, are on hard times that may think about things from a different perspective, right? So, but what that means is, is we have to meet people based on these real world, world conditions, right? And now going back to something that you said pre just previous to that, um, well, this, this kind of ties into what I was just saying. It's like, we don't need an organization where everybody joins based upon like some philosophical line if you can make a smaller, you know, a smaller organization or a local group in your community that meets people based on their real life experience or material conditions, whether that's going out and doing homeless outreach or um, whatever the thing is, I mean, putting coats on kids in the wintertime, I don't care what it is, or just mowing that, that, that late old lady's grass who's getting hassled by the, the city this will go farther than trying to uh, 
convince people of your to join your organization based on philosophical reasons. You know what I mean? So uh, tying this back to what you said about sort of transaction costs, and let me make sure I understand this right. You're saying that we as anarchists have a higher transaction costs in comparison to what? In comparison to like talking with normies, <laughs> you know, or or yeah. try, amongst ourselves. Like what which... Yeah, no, it's not even it's it, it's not even like who you're talking to. It's just like, okay. So like a a world like a world with like where like people are free more have more agency and like it doesn't even need to be anarchists but just like a world where people have more agency and more freedom like getting people to agree on stuff in that world is going to be harder than a world where like people have you know set life scripts for what they should do and like very few people deviate from that it is going to be just easier in the second one for people to come to agreement agreement on things uh and that that that's relevant okay and that but that's also relevant for like people trying to achieve those worlds right so like you know uh like let's say actually i actually it it's so it's not like a definite thing but i i would expect all else being equal that if I join, like, you know, uh, some, like, relig- fundamental religious group that was, like, we want to, you know, impose our orthodox vision of the world, um, it would be easier for that group to agree on to agree on things to do than a group that was, like, okay, like, you know, we want a world where everyone can, like, you know, do what they want. Uh, because in the first one, in, in the world where, like, people have more freedom, uh, um, like you necessarily like like there's just it, it it part of it is just like there's a lot of concerns in the world right now mm-hmm. and and it's not like obvious like which one is the most important right and so if you're coming together to do something like you have to like negotiate among yourselves like what path should be pursued but if like you know you just want to like you know live as like a, a trad life like in a wheat field doing whatever um like you know, you, you can just come along and be like, all right, cool. I'm just going to, you know, follow the guy who like is going to tell me what to do. And like, you know, I, I'm just here to like, you know, have a sense of like community and like, you know, feel really comfortable with like my supposedly natural role in the world uh, as opposed to like a politics, which is like about empowering people uh, where you're like, okay, like there's like all these different things that, you know, are concerning and we don't know how to prioritize them. Uh, and like, we got to, we got to, we got to talk that out. Um, so, d- does that make sense? No, I understand exactly what you're saying, but I'm going to put out, I'm going to, let me push back on that a little bit. <clears throat> okay. So let me divide this into two, um, two thoughts, strategy and tactics. So it would be much if, if you believe as we do and you would like the, uh, you have some, some sense of liberatory politics and you would like humanity to be free from these domination systems that would be a, uh, an overall strategy an end goal like how so then what we don't need we don't actually need consensus amongst all these people because 
I lost my train of thought. So, yeah. so tactically, how to achieve those is going to be vastly different amongst different people and different groups and what to prioritize, etc. But it doesn't consensus does not need to be achieved amongst all the people that share our politics. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so, I, so, so smaller groups will have an easier transaction time because yeah. they generally all agree on how to go about there and that's fine. And different groups will have different consensuses on how to reach that goal, what to focus on now, yeah. how to tack. So I think we actually have the advantage over people who would want systems of control for that reason. Cause we have that sort of stigmergic advantage in tactics. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. 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 No, no, I guess that, because remember, like, all this started because, like, you know, you were talking about, like, why, like, revolution where everyone agrees on something is really stupid. Uh, yes. And so, like, I was giving the um, transaction cost explanation for why that's stupid. So, yes, of course, we agree. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, I, I completely agree. Um, and, again, like, that's why, that's why I think, like, I focus on, uh, like, technological possibilities that you know are being suppressed or that uh have been ignored like um you're talking to like michael laufer about like how uh you know he, he was talking about how like oh you know like there's like these medicines uh, drugs that like are really effective and yet they're just kind of ignored because like you know it's not like profitable for the um pharmaceutical companies um and like I, I think that like, you know, you can generalize that point to like all sorts of technologies that like, you know, uh, have been like downplayed or ignored. Um, and like, you know, there's just like a lot of low hanging fruit that um, could be seized. Um, and like, yeah, at least that's, you know, the hypothesis. Um, fingers crossed it's true. <laughs> No, I, d I definitely agree, and and I think that is, um, you know, we can uh, sort of apply those ideals to not so not just uh, pharmaceuticals, obviously, but other mm. technological advances, and also, you know, technology isn't just like machinery and and, and digital software. You know, it's tools, it's methods of sort of organizing humans or organizing mm. ourselves, you know, like just different ways to the more options we have in, on our table, I think for everything, the better yeah. off we are as, as anarchists. Yeah. So, but uh, we gotta, I, well, at least I have to wrap up before too long, but um, I was about to, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, we're pushing on a while, but, um, but yeah. Um, anything else we want to get to before we kind of wrap up here? Um, yeah, I, please, if like, you're a, if you're like technically capable, uh, if you like, you, you know, I understand, uh, technical aspects to all this, like, please, you know, start shitposting on Twitter about it, start writing stuff, start, you know, making YouTube videos, whatever. Like, I, I think that, I think that having like more actual technical people in this space would be really helpful. Um, I I am like drawing on 
uh, you know, the histories of people. Um, and that's great. And like David Noble is really, really like detailed and meticulous, but like actually having, you know, an engineering background, um, I think would make it like so much better. Uh, you know, I'd actually be able to verify stuff. Um, I'd be able to like, you know, be like, Oh, you know, like I like actually know how this works. And like, you know, I could connect it to all this other stuff and there's like actual practical application for this. Um, I, I, I think that, um, uh, I think there's like, you know, really significant potential in, uh, reaching out to people who are like more, um, technically capable and like, you know, getting their perspective on things. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think that like, you know, doing that and also like, you know, making it easier for like people to gain these skills. I think there's like just a lot of potential there. Um, and again, I just really want to stress how I think there's like just a lot of low hanging fruit here. Uh, I don't know that for sure, but like, you know, it's, it's a pretty well-informed, uh, guess. And like, honestly, like I'm like, this is probably like going to shape the direction of my life, uh, quite considerably. Um, so, you know, um, I fucking hope it's true because I'm going to be like putting skin in the game as it were. Um, yeah. Uh, check out my stuff. Uh, I write for, um, C4SS under Frank Biroslav. Um, I occasionally post to my own personal blog that I started with a bunch of friends called the plausible possible. Um, I, I'm also starting something up with Joel Williamson called, um, mutualism or it's either mutualism or mutualist co-op. Um, that's like going to be. Oh, doing... that's you. I've seen that posted around. Okay. Yeah. I'm involved with that. Um, okay. Yeah, that's like classic mutualist stuff. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, uh, I also do a podcast, <laughs> uh, All Power to the Imagination, um, that like I basically just use an ex- as an excuse to talk to interesting people. Uh, so if you want to indulge me, if you want to, if you want to hear myself indulging myself on that, um, check it out. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, and then um, I'm at Twitter at mutual uh, underscore aid with two y's instead of a i and then an e at the end for some reason i don't know aid yeah (laughs) it's how i always said your name in my head yeah yeah Yeah, exactly if worse comes to words you can find them on our twitter but yeah a a, mutual underscore a y y d e just uh yeah thank you for spelling that out (laughs) you share some really good content on there and i'm I'm a big fan of the twitter platform and um but yeah people want to get more long form stuff you do that as well um I, i recommend the podcast i think it's um it's different each podcast is different from each other so it's pretty cool for that reason yeah yeah. I also, also just like, I try to, I try to like my, my general rule of like creating content for the internet is like stuff that I would personally enjoy consuming. Um, and I've got like pretty eclectic taste. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. Um, same for sure. Yeah. All right. Oh, well, yeah. it was, I, I, I just want to say it's like great to finally talk to you guys. Um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're one yeah, of the guests. Cool. I think we're really trying to have like the people that like canonically we would 
definitely want to have on the podcast as far as like what our podcast is about, like the very obvious guests and you are really helping round out. I think the people that we've always kind of wanted to come on here and, you know, just for some reason for busy, busy and various things, pace of, of a production, which wasn't really that much in the very beginning. We hadn't had you on. So I really do want to thank you for coming on and really talking to us. It's been a real, really long one, but it's really good conversation. Yeah, no, uh, re- really good time for it. Cause, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm like trying to put together like my kind of project for the next like year or so is like just really like a definitive, um, like why, why like anarchism and Marxism, like, like the, like fundamental differences between the two. And like, you really caught me, uh, at the beginning of this, um, and you know the like both both of my both of both of the articles I gave you guys that you know hopefully be out in a couple of weeks. Um, like they have big sections where I'm just like, here's why Marxism is wrong in both of them. So. Well, no, this this has been great, and this has been a, a long time co- coming, as Penguin said, and um, I've I've enjoyed talking to you over the years and um we're definitely gonna have to have you back on again um, yeah just to kind of talk about a whole bunch of stuff but um this is one of those episodes that we could just keep going for like four hours you know so it's Uh, i I hope not my uh my throat's getting sore so (laughs) no but we'll wrap this up here and uh again uh frank thanks i almost called you mutual thanks for um coming on and um we'll talk to you again soon man yeah you too yeah, thanks. Take All care, right, guys. Your brother.